Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining Nebraskans, listeners in Nebraska to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash in Omaha, and I'm joined with my co-host Liz Felstern in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you today? Hi, Alan. Doing very well. How are you? I'm doing good. We, or I'm doing well, one way or the other. I'm excited to have a conversation with you. We touched on last week um, a very important issue, uh, and if you, if people followed the uh, episode last week, they know that we mentioned re- briefly the issue at the Kotel and the work that member of Knesset Matan Kahana is doing to try to bridge, in my opinion, bridge some of the issues between the religious and the secular community, one being around the Kotel. And I'd like for us today to really have a serious conversation about this issue of the Kotel. Um, I know that I've been following it for many, many years, that uh, there are basically two sections and a third section that's not really recognized as a third section. You've got the section for the men, which is a larger one. You have a section for the women, which is a uh, smaller area. And then you have a section of the Kotel that uh, impromptu becomes a more of a secular uh, egalitarian space for people who want to uh, pray together, men and women together at the Kotel. And uh, there have been re- uh, policies and resolutions by the previous government of Netanyahu to really implement this as a real thing. Uh, but this week we saw that that initiative put forward by Minister Kahana not taking place. What What's your feed? What's your feeling on this? What's your position on this? Yeah, so this is such a complex issue and it elicits a lot of very passionate feelings from people, I guess, on both sides or all sides of the issue. But just so our listeners understand, this is an issue that has been fought, um, including on the legal front through all, you know, available recourse uh, in Israel for over 30 years. I think the first uh, suit for for more parity and ability to have egalitarian services at the Kotel was brought in 1989. So we're talking about a, a very long-standing battle, and you mentioned specifically the uh, egalitarian area, also known as Robinson's Arch, also known as the Family Prayer Plaza. I think is one of its names, and that didn't exist back then, right? So, so that the existence of this third area is definitely one of the successes of the movement, um, and the we would be very remiss if we did not mention the organization that has been at the forefront of this battle almost since the very beginning, which is Women of the Wall in Hebrew, Nashota Kotel. Um, and, and, and with that, I giant leap forward, the creation of this Robinson's Arch as a place for uh, egalitarian prayer. Uh, there are two things that I want to say about that. One, that, you know, why why was there a need to have this separate area? And I'm not sure if everyone realizes what happens when people, Jews, have attempted to have 
egalitarian services in the main hotel plaza. I mean, these are, to my mind, some of the ugliest scenes of what Jews can do to other Jews. And this is a scene which is not something that happened in history. This is something that continues to play out every single Rosh Chodesh here in Jerusalem on the new month. That's when the women of the wall have their uh, most public and well-attended services. And every single month, uh, there are protests, there are uh, pushing and shoving, sometimes more violence. There have been arrests. There are there's spitting and pinching and uh, filling of hot beverages. I mean, it is a really dramatic and an unfortunate scene that just should not happen. Why does so it, that's so, one? Yeah, so, go ahead. So, so why 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 does it happen? Why are people opposed to an egalitarian service at the Kotel? So people who some people who believe that the proper observance of Judaism is through very clear roles for men and women vis-a-vis prayer, which does not include women wearing prayer shawls or reading from the Torah uh, or leading services out loud in a, in a public forum, right? People who believe that those are not appropriate also believe that in the holiest of places, which they think the hotel is, that it is, you know, an affront to observe these, in these incorrect and blasphemous, I guess, ways at this holy site. And they are incensed at that, um, at that idea that there are, are people who they believe are worshiping in the incorrect and to their minds, I guess, disrespectful way in this very holy location. Um, and that's why they're upset and they're, they're acting very upset. So the women of the wall, uh, this, this movement, as you called it, has been um, advocating for their rights to be able to do this for many, many years. And we, as I prefaced in the introduction, that there were moments where there seemed to have been some understanding and acceptance of this going back to 2018. And all of a sudden, we were getting very close to having this be a policy. And then what happened? Yes. So in 2018, I am after a lot of negotiations. I am they actually in 2016, under Netanyahu, they um, agreed to create a permanent pluralistic prayer pavilion, that's a lot of P's, at the Western Wall, um, and that oversight would be shared by representatives from multiple streams of Judaism, right? Right now, everything that happens at the Kotel is overseen by one ultra-Orthodox rabbi, which is part of the reason why it's very difficult to make any changes. Um, and the, that original plan included three particular provisions. We mentioned already that this Robinson's Arch egalitarian prayer space exists, but, um, what was meant to happen with this agreement 
is that there would be a joint entrance uh, to this egalitarian prayer space and to the main Western Wall Plaza. Right now, the way that you get to the regular, air quotes, hotel, and the way that you get to the egalitarian prayer space are through two different entrances. And the idea was that part of, you know, creating parity and making everybody feel like they're going to the hotel, whether they choose to hold their prayers in one of the um, uh, non-egalitarian sections, the men or the women's, or in the egalitarian section, that's up to them, but that everybody would feel like they're going to the same hotel. So that was one of the three provisions. Um, it also called for enlarging the existing a prayer deck, which actually I think a, a good portion of that has been done. They've put in new flooring um, and enlarged the site, um, which I mean, the, the site that's there hadn't been worked on since 2000, I think when it was first put in place. So it needed, you know, it needs somewhere. Um, and the, the most controversial piece was what I mentioned just before, that they would form this joint council including representatives from liberal streams of Judaism, and they would be in charge together of overseeing the Kotel. Um, and so this agreement with those three stipulations is what didn't get settled or voted into effect under Netanyahu, kind of got kicked down the road. There was a lot of hope that it was going to happen under this new government. Um, members of Knesset, including Kahana, who you mentioned, but also uh, Bennett and, and Yair Lapid and Avigdor Lieberman. These are all people who signaled that this was something that they wanted to see happen. Um, however, it has yet again been made clear that they're they're not going to touch it. That they they're they're not going to make sure that this agreement gets. Put so in place, are, at least not are, now. are there outside movements, outside uh, sources that are making this not happen? It's pressure from parts of the the government or parts of the the country. I mean, it seems like it's a should be an easy thing to accomplish. It is not an easy thing to accomplish. There's a lot of pressure from um, from the ultra-Orthodox parties within the Knesset, right? We we know that this government um, is one that is quite divided and with a lot of diversity. Um, and the, the ultra-Orthodox parties, Shas, United Torah Judaism, uh, and a couple of the others are very unhappy about the possibility of this change. Um, and and they've said they're going to have rallies. They're going to, you know, people, they're going to have people in the streets. I, I understand there have been even threats made against uh, Kahana and, and members of Knesset that support some of these more liberal moves. Um so there's definitely a lot. It's not an easy thing to pass. Oh, why I, it's I, been in the works for 30 years, I guess. It should be easier. I um, I think it should be easier, but yeah, I think it I think it should be pretty easy too. Um, and I just, you know, if I look at the Kotel as it is, you've got this wall that's the retaining wall of the Temple Mount that spans, you know, 
hundreds of feet. And then, you know, the far side, you have the men's section, which is large, and it goes on and on and on. And so there is this section, you're calling it from the Robinson's Arch. It's um, the southern most part of the, the wall. It's still the same wall, isn't it? It is the same wall. It's separated from the other two sections visually because in between you have the ramp which goes up to the Temple Mount. It's the it's the only entrance for non-Muslims to go up to the Temple Mount. Um, and that physically and visually separates this Robinson's Arch egalitarian prayer space from the other two sections of the hotel, but it is in fact along the same wall. So you mentioned um, you mentioned that yeah. under this policy that there would be uh, an entrance into it, a, a, an official entrance, as the other two entrances are official, leading up to the wall for the men's side and for the women's side. Is that is that part of the idea? I am not that it would be a more official that it would be in fact the same entrance that you would come in in one place and then choose whether you're going to walk to the egalitarian section or the women's section or the men's section right right now before you enter i guess you have to make that choice because it's a different entrance there's one entrance if you're going to the men women sections and there's another entrance if you're going to the egalitarian right so correct me if i'm wrong just for people listening the entrance now into that uh, egalitarian section as it's being used today you have to go through the archaeological site of the southern wall excavations to get to that area i am yes it's the same entrance as for the the davidson center i think it's called in the southern wall excavations yes so, right. So the idea is, you know, to have it really be one entrance to feel like you're going to the hotel, not to some less important or or afterthought or, um, you know, sort of capitulation kind of thing that you're being given. Is there pressure from the American Jewish community for this to be solved? Um. I'm sure there are certain pressures being exerted, but clearly not enough for it to get to have been solved yet. Um, And maybe there is room for more pressure to be exerted. I know that Women of the Wall is always looking to um, get more people aware of this conversation, of this fight. Um, And certainly... It makes sense that the voices that are going to push this forward largely are going to come from abroad. There simply isn't, it, it's growing, but there isn't that large of an egalitarian minded community in Israel yet. Um, and as I said, it's growing, but that, you know, takes time. And I think right now, the, the people of, global Jewry who are most concerned about this issue and want to feel like they have a space where they can pray in the way that they are accustomed and feel comfortable are largely people from the United States, from from outside of Israel. So it's the pluralistic, liberal uh, branches of Judaism that are really impacted by not being able to practice 
practice at the Somebody's Cotosa. making a cameo. Yeah, Brucey was commenting on, <laughs> on, on this topic. He as has he very wants, strong feelings about egalitarian issues. I think he wants to be represented as well. Um, but I want to get to the other point of there are liberal pieces or there are progressive uh, pieces to the coalition is trying to accomplish things to benefit the diaspora community. This is a key one. Um, are there others that you see are, are easier battles to address? Or is this the most, in my mind, this is the most important one that demonstrates to at least the Jews of America that Israel is paying attention to issues that are important to them? Yeah, I think this is the one that is the most visible. Um, the the other two issues that fall into this same sort of bucket and that the current government had signaled that they were going to address um, are two others. One we've talked about before are changes to the Kashru kosher certification process, right? Sort of breaking the monopoly of um, of the Rabbanut and having there be other uh, mechanisms and ways for for restaurants for for food service businesses to have a kosher certification and that one you know um it's a religious issue only in the sense that the organization whose power is perhaps being checked is the rabbinu is a religious organization but the idea is not to have kosher that is less Orthodox or less, you know, kosher, not to mix our terms too much, but for there to be multiple paths to get to that certification. And so it's a little bit more about kind of easing the bureaucratic burden and breaking up a monopoly than it is about catering to liberal streams of Judaism. But the other topic that falls into the same category does do that. And that is the recognition of non-Orthodox conversions performed in Israel, right? That Israeli rabbis who are reform rabbis and conservative rabbis would have their conversions that are performed within Israel recognized by the state of Israel. Um, and that is at least an equally complicated issue as the idea of egalitarian prayer at the Kotel. It pisses certain people off for very similar reasons. Um, and I don't know that its future is, you know, any rosier than than the situation at the Kotel. I mean, it's, it's a really difficult thing. So, th so these are three significant policies that this current government is trying to put in into place to improve relations within Israel for those who are less concerned with orthodox practices, but also as, and I, in my opinion, it's an opportunity to really stress the fact that there are more ways to practice Judaism. And we have done that really well in America and in other parts of the world. Israel is still struggling with, with that uh, as, as one would imagine. But kashrut, uh, the Kotel conversion, these are three things that are constantly being talked about in, in terms of American-Israel relations. Um, and I'm not quite sure that it's helping or hurting that connection. I mean, I think it certainly does highlight 
the stark differences between the two societies, including how Judaism is is practiced and who gets to say how Judaism is practiced. Um, you know, Israel is not a state founded on the idea of separation of church and state. It's not the United States. That's not part of our sort of founding ethos. But what that means is that if they're not separate, how on earth do we have them work together in a way that is fair and makes room for different types of Jews, right? Um, And that's something that at 73 years young, we are still figuring out. I think this is a really nice, I shouldn't say nice, this is a classic example of how uh, a country grows dealing with its challenging issues. And we know that the the divide between secular and religious lifestyle in Israel and in the States is is a challenge for many, many people. But to your point, um, Israel has been challenged by the the theocracy of Orthodox Judaism as controlling the country. Uh, and we're seeing now with this government that that's being challenged. And so that challenge is creating some of that hostility and that tension that we're seeing at the Kotel or with Kashrut or with conversion. Um, and it it needs to be out there that it's a challenge. Yes. And at the risk of sounding rather pessimistic, I would say that um with the demographics in Israel being what we know they are, this is an issue that if we don't solve it soon, the chances of it being solved get smaller and smaller. I am, um, you know, I don't want to go too deeply into the demographics, but the, you know, the ultra-Orthodox segment in Israel is the fastest growing segment of the population. And I um, you know, all of the projections agree that 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 will represent a, a very, very significant part of the Israeli population in the decades to come. And so now is exactly the right time um, in a democratic country such as Israel to try and really push the envelope on these issues as much as possible, because it, it will be harder as time goes on. Well, I think that's a, I won't say pessimistic, but that's a good place to stop for today, because what we will do is we'll put some resources into the link into the link for the podcast for people to look up and to figure out how they want to respond to some of these issues. But it does, I think it bodes well for Israel that Israel's now struggling with these issues in a significant way. And hopefully, to your point, uh, it'll make a difference for the future. Uh, let's hope that that's the case. Uh, any final comments, Liz? I just but you know, we hope that even though right now there's still a travel ban in place, that in the very near future, the situation will allow more tourists, including American tourists, to come to Israel and that people will be able to come. And if they like, go to the hotel and pray in the ways that speak to them. Um, I hope that all those things get to happen sooner than later.
Me too. Me too. With that, everybody, thank you for listening to Israel Rebound. You've been listening to Liz Felstern in Jerusalem and me, Alan Padesh in Omaha. So thank you all again for listening.